Sarah, I started a Substack last spring, just kind of as an experiment, and it turns out I love it. I'm treating it kind of like an old school blog, writing about things that are happening in my life. Megan, I've loved following your stuff on Substack, and I actually just really like Substack in general. You know, we've both been a lot less active on Instagram lately, and I'm finding that Substack scratches that itch to connect and create without all the busyness of a typical social media feed. So I would love it if Mom Hour listeners wanted to look me up there. I'm at meganfrancis.substack.com, and that's Megan with two A's, M-E-A-G-A-N francis.substack.com. Hey, everybody, Sarah here. Today, we are bringing you a bonus episode on a topic that requires some extra care and that can be difficult to talk about, miscarriage. October is Pregnancy Loss Awareness Month, and we have three moms on our team of contributors who actually approached Megan and me recently with the idea to come together in conversation about their personal experiences with miscarriage in an effort to help moms in our community feel less alone. Just a heads up, this may not be an episode for little ears, and it may be a topic that feels too heavy for you right now, too, and that's okay. If you are able to stick around, I think you'll find that Emily, Joanne, and Lisa are honest, vulnerable, and really thoughtful in their reflections on this topic. As we always say at the Mom Hour, they are not experts, they are moms who've been there. And it's their hope, as well as Megan's and mine, that this conversation helps reduce the stigma around pregnancy loss. If you're looking for more resources on this topic, we've rounded up some links in the show notes. Thanks for listening, everyone, and please enjoy this important conversation. Hi, I'm Megan. And I'm Sarah. We're two moms with eight kids between us, and we're the hosts of The Mom Hour. On this show, we're joined by a team of unique mom voices from across the country and in different stages of motherhood to bring you tips, ideas, and encouragement, and to help you feel a little less alone. We all know that motherhood is a lot easier when real moms share honest truths and remind each other that it's all going to be okay. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to The Mom Hour. Hi, I'm Lisa from Kansas, and my kids are 16, 14, 10, and 9. I'm Emily from Indiana, and my kids are 8, 6, and 3. I am Joanne, and I'm in New Jersey. My kids are 7 and 11. All right, ladies, welcome. We are here today to visit about this, and let's just start right off the top. Why is this so hard to talk about? You know, um, I think it's it's one of those motherhood-related things that is hard to talk about. I mean, from the very beginning, there's um, a superstition and a a way of trying to be careful when we first find out that we're pregnant. Um, A lot of people don't even tell anyone they're pregnant until they've passed the 12-week mark. And so for me, I I miscarried um, in the early weeks. I think I was probably uh, 10 weeks. Um, and so I hadn't ever, I hadn't told anyone that I was pregnant in the first place. Um, and because of how it happened, you know, I found out I was pregnant. I went to the doctor, we confirmed I was pregnant. And then I had another appointment a few weeks later where we looked for the heartbeat and we, and we didn't see a heartbeat. So that led to a number of tests over the course of a few weeks And so in that period of time, I was really in this in-between stage of knowing and not knowing. Um, And then ultimately, when I did miscarry, I hadn't told anyone I was pregnant. And so therefore, I felt like I couldn't tell anyone I was no longer pregnant. Um, And that was difficult. I think everyone's 
if anyone has gone through this, everyone's situation is so different. Um, and there are so many reasons why we feel like we can't talk about it or we don't want to talk about it or we feel like other people don't want to hear about it. Um, Lisa, what was it like for you? Yeah, I mean, I absolutely co-sign all of that. I, For me, it was my third pregnancy and I was in my first tri- trimester when I miscarried as well. I hadn't told many people and it's funny that you mentioned about that 12 week note. I think that it's so hard to talk about because of not wanting to celebrate a pregnancy too early. So we don't have to untell or, um, you know, deal with untelling people or making other people feel uncomfortable. We're dealing with our private circumstances. I, I just remember feeling such embarrassment or shame around something that was unpreventable. There's nothing that I could have done or that I did wrong. And I I just couldn't help but try to keep squelching, like, it's not your fault, just kind of keeping that mantra going. But I hadn't told many people the same as you. And so I think I was six weeks in and there, there, there we were. Yeah. Emily, what about you? My story is similar to both of yours. I was 10 weeks along when I had my miscarriage and very few people knew that I was pregnant. Although for me, we had heard the heartbeat about a week and a half prior. So I, we had told, like we told our kids and we told um, some family because mine actually happened when we were on vacation and we were staying in a house with my parents and my siblings. And so I'm really grateful that they knew because mine happened spontaneously and I had to go to the hospital because of blood loss. So um, I had someone there to watch my kids, but it was kind of, it was very chaotic just because my kids were old enough, are old enough to understand what happened. So I was kind of trying to protect them. And then when all was said and done, um, you know, when we got back from vacation, it was weird because no one knew I was pregnant, but I was still having this miscarriage. And for me, it was my fourth pregnancy. There was almost some embarrassment there, like, oh, but I already have three healthy kids. Should I be this upset about this fourth baby? Um, which is like a baby is a baby. And I know that, but still it was a lot to wrestle with. So yeah, for me, it was just kind of like a little bit of shame almost. There are just so many emotions uh, wrapped up in this topic. And I know we're going to talk about more of them, but I just, um, I didn't even know all of the things I was going through at the time. And this was, um, seven years ago, um, until I started preparing for this episode. Do you think it's less taboo to talk about these days? I think it is. My grandma, uh, suffered multiple pregnancy losses and even a stillborn baby in the 1950s. And uh, she's passed on now. So I I think she'd be okay with me talking about it. But when she was alive, she, she did not speak of it. And it was just something that we, we knew we weren't allowed to ask about. And, and it makes me a little bit sad because I know she had to carry that heaviness with her all, you know, 90 plus years of her life. Um, And even after she had passed on, we were going through her things and in her dresser, she had a pamphlet on, um, I think it was on, it was on pregnancy loss or stillbirth or, and she kept that with, in you know, in her possession all those years, even she got rid of so much stuff at the end of her life. She was good about doing that, but she held on to that because 
I think as, as moms, we will never forget the day our, we lost a baby. It just, it sticks with you. And I think it's good that we're talking more about it now because we don't have to, um, you know, keep something at the bottom of our dresser drawer. We can talk to each other about it. Mm-hmm. It's funny that you mentioned your grandma because I had a conversation with my grandma as well. Um, and she hadn't named it as a miscarriage, but when I went through mine, I had visited with her about it and she related to me. Um, and again, it was in the 1950s, but she just said, yeah, we just stopped along the side of the road and I wasn't well. And we went on to my friend's house and I just laid down on her bed and, and kind of rested. Um, we didn't get into the big details of it. So I don't know exactly then how she managed all of it. I just think now, um, kind of like we talked about it with that, um, superstition and or caution of protecting our bodies, our pregnancies, and not talking about that first trimester. It makes it, maybe it is less taboo because we have more social media support, but I think until we kind of gear around um, wanting, if that's something we wish to talk about earlier in our pregnancy, um, I don't know that it's as taboo. I'm just not sure that it's still as open as what it could be. Lisa, I agree um, that it's less taboo, definitely from our grandparents' time. Um, I'm just sort of shocked that it's still so secretive, I guess. I'm, I'm surprised that it's still that way. Um, when I was going through it and my doctor was talking to me about how common it is, um, you know, that 10 to 20 percent of known pregnancies end in miscarriage. You know, I think that's an important thing for women to know, because a lot of the times we think we did something wrong or, you know, we could have prevented it or we could have done something better or maybe because we, we had a miscarriage, it's our body's way of saying we're not going to be able to have a baby. And I know I thought those things and those aren't true. So I do wish that it was more known uh, so that women didn't take on these feelings of inadequacy or any kind of feelings that um, that they did something wrong. Yeah. Okay, Megan. Well, over here at the Mom Hour, we are big fans of our sponsor, Our Place. In fact, you, me, and our team member, Katie, were all comparing notes on our favorite product, Katie was telling us that even though she's packing up to move her family to a new house, she cannot put that mini perfect pot from our place into the boxes yet because she's using it like every night. Well, as someone who also has a perfect pot, I got mine as part of their mini home cook duo set. I get it. It's nonstick, which is key, but it also has all these handy features like a steam release lid with a built in strainer and this nice beechwood spoon that nests on the handle in this perfect little peg. Okay, well, I didn't get this pot, but now I want it. That sounds so great. Our Place's cookware is great to cook with, beautiful to look at, and healthier for us as well. All of Our Place's products are made without PFAS, also known as Forever Chemicals. In addition to their cookware and tableware, Our Place is also making waves with their Wonder Oven, the most stylish all-in-one air fryer and toaster oven. Again, free from the Forever Chemicals found in many of those air fryers. Listeners, Our Place offers a 100-day trial with free shipping and returns, and we've got a great deal for you. Go to fromourplace.com and enter the code MOMHOUR at checkout to receive 10% off site-wide. 
That's from our O-U-R place.com code mom hour. Sarah, we both know this time of year can be crazy. So this is a great time to get ahead with no prep, no mess meals from our sponsor factor. I love how these meals are ready to eat and delivered right to your door. I mean, you can't beat that convenience, but most importantly, they're seriously delicious. Yeah, Megan, I agree. Our whole family was impressed with the quality and flavor of factor meals we tried. And it turned out to be a great option for my teenagers when they got home late from a theater practice or came home from school super hungry. There's zero prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. Factor meals just need to be heated for about two minutes and they're ready to go. Yeah. And for any listeners with wellness goals this month, Factor has six menu preferences to support your lifestyle, whether you're trying to boost your protein, avoiding meat, or simply focusing on well-balanced meals. And you can pause or reschedule deliveries to fit your lifestyle. Make today the day you kickstart a new healthy routine. Head to factormeals.com slash momhour50 and use code momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code momhour50 at factormeals.com slash momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. So did you know what to expect when it happened? Because um, I'll go first. I did not know what to expect. And uh, because mine happened spontaneously, um, it was kind of like something out of a movie. My body just you know, I started bleeding and, um, it was a lot more than I had expected. And I didn't really, I didn't really know what to do. Thankfully, um, I called the on-call OB because as I said before, I was on vacation, so I wasn't even near my own hospital. Um, and, and she was, the nurse was very helpful, but it was still surprising that, um, it just, I felt like I, I should have been more educated, but also how can you educate yourself on something like this when you don't want it to happen? Um, and then besides the physical symptoms and pain, I wasn't expecting all of the hormonal changes. So like I said, I was 10 weeks, so not super far, but far enough along to have a lot of hormone changes at that point. And even though after I had lost the pregnancy, I was no longer you know, physically pregnant, there were just a lot of mood swings and tears. And just, I felt like I was really out of balance and dealing with the emotional part was a roller coaster. And then that was hard because, um, I do have three older children who I was, this happened this summer. So I was still taking them to their activities and trying to go about my normal life, but nobody knew why I was acting the way I was. Lisa, did you know what to expect? You know, I had no idea. I had had two healthy pregnancies before and I hadn't anticipated it. The kind of strange thing is there, I had some vague sense, um, like an instinct that perhaps something wasn't right. Uh, I had no idea of my hormone levels or anything, but um, when we went in, um, my kids ended up coming and I just ended up taking a very cautious road saying, we are going to go see the doctor is going to see if there is a baby in mommy's tummy. And when they couldn't find the heartbeat and the ultrasound showed there was not one, um, I was just able to say, because we practice our religion, that it, God said it wasn't time for that to happen right now. Um, but after it happened, I just, I was the same as you. I, I, I didn't have kind of the, 
big trauma around it other than a sense of loss and more of the emotional work. Um, I wasn't really prepared for the negative feelings that I encountered around others who were pregnant um, at the same time as I was or who carried their pregnancy um, and being around them, just being constantly reminded of something I didn't have, even though I had two healthy children. Um, it was unexpected to, I feel like, grieve as long as I did for the loss of that baby. Um, the hormones, absolutely. And I was really good at gaining weight during my pregnancies. And so I had already gained a little bit of fluff during that time. And so just, I wasn't in maternity clothes yet, but also downshifting and still wearing things, even though I wasn't pregnant and I didn't have a baby that was kind of new and just kind of played into um, that emotional piece of, you know, decelerating from, from the loss. What about you, Joanne? Um, like I said a little bit in the beginning, it, it was pretty different from Emily's experience. Um, I found out at an appointment that there was not a heartbeat and we were expecting to see a heartbeat. Um, my doctor said, well, you know, we don't know for sure how far along you are. That might not mean anything. I could just be, um, we're not seeing it yet. So she had me um, do some blood work and they measure your hormones on one day and then they measure your hormones another day to see if you're um, increasing or decreasing. And I was decreasing. So um, it was a period of week, over a period of weeks that I was trying to find out what was going on. Um, and ultimately we found out that there was, I, I'm forgetting the term, I think it's like failure to progress. Um, and so um, we had to make a decision on what to do to wait for it to pass um, naturally, so to speak. I could take a medicine to make, to, to make it pass or I could do a procedure. And because of previous complications in my first pregnancy, um, it was advised that we do it medically in a hospital um, because there were some risk factors for me in letting in, in letting it happen, um, unsupervised. So I didn't know what to expect at all. I didn't know that this was how things could happen. And during, I didn't, you know, during those weeks of not knowing, I didn't know that that could happen to women. And, um, what is similar to what you guys were saying, I didn't realize that it wasn't over when it was over. You know what I mean? I thought, once it was over, it was over, but there are actually a few weeks of physical, um, physical effects and symptoms, not to mention, you know, emotionally that can go on for, for quite a while. Yeah. So I heard you talking a lot about, um, needing to have that procedure taken care of. Do you feel like your provider was really good with you and, and helping you through that? That's a good question. Um, Yes and no. I think my provider, my OB had been with me for my first pregnancy and for my first, um, my older son. And, you know, it was a very, very complicated pregnancy um, with an ultimate happy ending. My, you know, my delivery was smooth and my baby was, um, was totally healthy, uh, but it was, it was a rough pregnancy. And so um, she did know me. We had a relationship. Um, she's not the cuddliest, like she's not great with bedside manners. So 
I felt cared for medically. I just um, uh, didn't necessarily get the the emotional support that maybe some some different kinds of providers would would provide. Sure. And Emily, you were so far away from home. How did how did your providers work together for you? Did you feel supported? So when it initially happened, I was out of town. I was on vacation in Michigan. And when I called the OB nurse, you know, she told me what to look for. And unfortunately, I had had too much blood loss. So she said, go to the ER. I did what she said. And I was expecting just to get right in there. You know, I don't know. I was, I know how ERs work, but um, where I live at home, we have a lot of different hospitals where I was vacationing. There was just one hospital. It was a summer night. You know, if you can imagine like right before 4th of July, lots of injuries. So I went in and they said, you know, I'm sorry, you're not, I asked if I could go to triage and labor and delivery because that's where I would go if I was home at my women's hospital, I would get sent right to triage. Unfortunately, this hospital, you have to be 16 weeks to go to triage and I was 10. So I basically had to sit in the middle of a crowded emergency and miscarry my baby in public, which is an experience I I don't wish on anyone. Um, So it took three hours to get back into a room. And by then I had already passed the baby. Um, And thankfully, once I was back there, I just like, I'm so thankful for this doctor. She, she cried with me. She said she had had experienced this before. Um, So I felt cared for once I was back with the doctor. Um, Prior to that, it was, it was not fun. And then when I came home, um, my experience was a little bit like Joanne's because my body would just not release everything. So I ended up needing a DNC in the hospital also, but it took, it took several weeks for my providers to listen to me. So, um, I really learned the importance of advocating for myself during this because I just felt like things were going on for so long and they kept telling me it was normal and it it wasn't normal. And I did end up needing the extra care. And, um, so in the end I felt cared for, but I did feel like I really had to advocate for myself because unfortunately they see this so often. I think in my case, um, the providers I saw were a little bit desensitized to the situation. Lisa, did you, what did you experience? You know, I was probably kind of in between you guys a little bit. I, I actually, I did feel medically cared for as well. Um, the initial finding out that I had miscarried, they were very cautious about, um, looking with first Doppler and then sending me to ultrasound. The nurse sent for the doctor to come in and share the news with me. And she did the same, sat, cried, gave me some silence, but supportive silence. And then she was open to um, letting my body first try to process. Um, She said it could happen that way. And if it didn't, she kind of gave me a timeline. And unfortunately, my body wasn't able to follow the timeline. Um, That's just life and nature. So I also... Uh, had a DNC as well in the hospital uh, a couple of weeks later, but I did really appreciate her. Um, I appreciated being home and her knowing me and then also advocating and letting me take a more conservative approach initially. Emily and Lisa, did you feel supported by friends and family? I I did. Um, so like I said, we hadn't told 
all of our family, my husband's family did not know that I was pregnant. So that was a little, that was a little bit sad. Like they never knew I was pregnant. And then we just had to say, oh, I miscarried. And so, but they were very supportive. My family was supportive. Um, and then I just reached out to some friends in a private Facebook group um, for moms and everyone was so, I mean, sadly, a lot of people all have also experienced this. So I felt really loved and um, friends dropped off flowers and, and food. And I really, I didn't ask for any of that, but I think, I think once you've been through it, you get it. Um, and so that did make me feel really supported. And I think in a world of before social media, I don't know that if I would have felt the same way. Yeah. I was just going to say, I think, um, I could have had a plethora of community around me, but because of those early stages and not many people knowing it felt awkward to try to, I didn't necessarily need a ton of help and support or I, I didn't know it at the moment and my family and the couple people I did tell for sure um, offered to come, let me stay with you, let me help. And I, I really tried to suppress it. I really tried to just move on, pull up those bootstraps. You've got two other kids. You already know how to take care of them. It's okay. Do something you already know how to do. I didn't know how to do this. And so I think if I accepted support, that would have been um, like fully realizing, right? Um, which would have been a very healthy experience for me. But as I look back, even 11 years later, I, I do feel less alone in that journey. And I specifically preparing for this podcast has really helped me realize how um, maybe if I could uh, share with just another mom to take it, take the support if you can, if there's any way you can, it's, it's okay. It's so healthy to do it. And if your spouse isn't prepared to be that kind of support, there's so much community out there. Um, and it is more common than you realize you don't have to suppress and move on. You can accept and be loved and be wrapped around um, in that time. What about you, Joanne? I'm uh, nodding along with everything you said. I also, um, wish I had shared what happened with more people at the time. Um, I, you know, my older sister had had a miscarriage a few years before me. So she was, she was there for me and my mom was there for me. Um, but they don't live close by. So once the immediate, um, the immediate miscarriage had happened, you know, in the aftermath, I was, I was alone and isolated from my own doing really like I just um kept it to myself and I wish I had reached out to more people to tell them what happened um it it was a strange thing of like well it already happened so maybe I don't need to talk about it <laughs> or maybe I don't I don't know it just felt strange um but I do wish I had reached out and and um just even to say it you know not necessarily looking for I didn't, you know, I didn't need like meals or things like that, but I just feel like for some, for another mom to have been able to reach out and say, I, I, you know, I'm sorry, I've been through it too, would have been helpful. And in, in the years since, you know, I have had those conversations with people and, and it's helped. So one of the harder things about uh, losing a baby is that if you have older children, you have to explain the situation to them. And Lisa, you already talked about your situation a little bit. Do you want to uh, go into that a little bit more? Like, how did you handle this with your other kids? Yeah, I think even kind of thinking about um, 
again, as I prepared for the podcast and kind of relive those moments, it still feels very fresh. Like I can, I can remember standing in the bathroom and we were all getting ready and my son asking, why are we going to the doctor? And I had said, we're going to see if there's a baby. And it just got me really teary because the after effects, they were like, okay, it's just not the right time. I understand that. And they were able to move on with, with nothing else tied to it. So I was very fortunate that I had had the forethought to get put myself in a better position to be able to, to not have to unexplain or try to figure out what had happened. And again, because we practice some religion in my family, it would have kind of come all around my timing versus, you know, God's timing or whatever. But that was kind of just the explanation was that, yep, it just, it just wasn't the right time that maybe sometime there will be. So giving hope, confirming what's, what is right now and confirming hope for the future. Yeah. What about you, Emily? Yeah, it's very similar for me. So my kids, like I said, my kids already knew I was pregnant. So then it was it was only a week and a half later we had to go back and say, never mind. And obviously they knew what was happening because we were on, you know, at this vacation rental and we left. We were at the ER for over eight hours, I think, and then we came back and they were really upset. They were they didn't totally understand. They were asking, you know, did something cause this? And and that was, that might've been the hardest part, just explaining that, you know, I couldn't, we couldn't have done anything differently. This wasn't anyone's fault. And I feel like my eight and six-year-old accepted it pretty quickly and moved on. And my three-year-old still talks about it. Um, and this is, it's been three months now, but she still talks about the baby and um, we didn't know what we were having, but she says it was a brother baby. She talks about him and it, it helps. Like, I think it does. I mean, it's, it's a sad situation, but I'm so lucky to have the kids that I have and it, they put it in perspective, you know, like it, it wasn't the right time. And we same religious beliefs. We tell the kids that, you know, the baby's in heaven and, and it just wasn't the right time. I don't know. It's, it's hard, but it's also good to have the other kids around because they are just so innocent and optimistic. And I think of the women who had to go through this before having kids and I know many women go through that and that's just, it's very hard. Sarah, our sponsor, Haya Health, makes a kid's daily multivitamin that parents can feel great about giving their kids because they have no added sugars or dyes. And our kids who have tried Haya Vitamins have loved them, which is important, right? Because what good is a bottle of vitamins that your kid won't take? Haya was founded by two dads who didn't like the ingredients label on some of the popular children's vitamins they were seeing on store shelves. So they got to work developing a formula that would help fill the most common nutrient gaps in modern kids' diets. Haya's Chewable Kids Vitamin is made with a blend of 12 organic fruits and vegetables and then supercharged with 15 essential vitamins and minerals. They're also vegan, dairy-free, allergy-free, gelatin-free, and nut-free. Haya manufactures their vitamins right here in the USA with globally sourced ingredients, and then they ship their chewable vitamins directly to your door on a pediatrician-recommended schedule. We've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. You're going to get 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, go to HayaHealth.com slash MomHour. This deal is not available on their regular website. Go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H.com slash MomHour and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. We are welcoming back Vionic as a sponsor today. And Sarah, I will be honest. I was sorting through my warmer weather wardrobe the other day and it could seriously use a refresh. But you know what's good to go? My shoes. 
I've got a great selection to choose from thanks to the Vionic Vitals collection. And lately, the pair I keep putting on again and again is the Uptown Loafer. I have two pairs, one in sand suede and the other in camel leather. But please don't make me pick a favorite. Oh, I won't. I'll let you keep both. That's so funny, Megan, because I was a little jealous of your Uptown Loafers. I was the last one on our team to get a pair, but I just did. I also got mine in the sand suede, and I think I've worn them like four times this week. They really finish off a cute spring outfit. The Vionic Vitals collection has the best essential styles for everyday wear to get you ready for spring. And no matter what shoes you choose, you'll be on the go in comfort because every single pair of Vionic shoes delivers their trademark Viomotion technology for a difference you can feel. Bionic sandals, sneakers, and flats all offer incredible support, stability, and cushioning, and every pair comes with a 30-day risk-free trial, so it's easy to try them out. Use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at bionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's a one-time use only. Bionic shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. So now that we've kind of processed through how we manage with our kids, what about your spouse? at the time. Um, Emily, how did you and your spouse, how did it impact your spouse, I guess? So my husband was, he was sad. It was, it was kind of a interesting experience, um, going to the hospital because he was visibly crying, emotional crying. And I was very stoic. And I think sometimes when you're the person physically going through something, you just have to be, you just have to get through it. And I feel like that was my mindset. I was a little bit in shock and I was just like, okay, like I'm just, we're doing this. It's happening. And he had to watch me go through it. And, um, cause we had just had a healthy ultrasound the week before he had to watch the new ultrasound that they did where they didn't find anything. And so that was really hard. So he was sort of processing everything right away while I was like, I was just, you know, going through the motions. And then when we got home, I was processing everything and trying to figure out what was happening. And he, he had to go back to work and go back to real life and just, you know, I mean, when you're the, nobody knew we were pregnant at his work. So he just had to go back to his life. And I mean, he'll, he'll tell me now that's still hard. I don't know that he fully processed everything. I also think at least in my household, men and women process things differently. So like where I will just cry and kind of want to like be on the couch by myself. He will just throw himself into work and distract himself. I think we, we've both processed it differently for sure. Yeah. I think the same, um, my spouse, I knew felt a little bit, a little sad. Um, it just felt like seemingly not the grave loss that I felt. Um, I think part of that is it was my body. And yes, when we kind of go into that soldier mode of taking care of things, but, and also for me, it felt, it was very heavy and I I held on to it for a long time, trying to sort through it and process. And I just feel like, um, at one point where he was ready to kind of move forward and I just was not, I could not yet, it wasn't time for me yet. And there was a really big disconnect as we each processed. So, you know, I, I wish maybe that, um, at the time we should have sought out some support together or I should have sought out support on my own just to get some feelings validated that it's okay to go as fast or as slow as what you feel your grief is. And it will vary from person to person, from your partner to you, or if it's only you, um, I think, you know, 
yes, while he wasn't in celebration, it just didn't match where I was. And it maybe wasn't the kind of support that I could have used during that tricky time. Uh, What about you, Joanne? I feel like I was um, similar to Emily. I I was stoic, but, you know, I was sort of in the, okay, we need to make this appointment and get this test. Okay, I'm going to schedule the appointment and and schedule that test. And um, I I think that in retrospect, it was sort of my brain preemptively trying to prepare my brain and my heart from disappointment. Um, And in order to do that, it was just like, let's shut, let's shut down all the emotions completely. Um, You're going to turn into a robot and do, do what you're told. Um, And so from the outside, I was pretty emotionless. And I think my husband was trying to take cues from me and therefore, um, you know, didn't, didn't really show anything either. Um, and his way of supporting was to um, really help take the majority of the um, parenting my three-year-old at the time. You know, he took on that while I was dealing with um, the miscarriage. Um, and so also, you know, he hadn't really, we hadn't had like doctor's appointments and ultrasound and like seeing seeing that kind of thing at that point. So I just don't think he was connected quite yet. Um, so his, his grief was just not the same. Um, and, and my grief was not the same either. I think it was like, um, I was really like muted as opposed to sad. I was a little muted and I was like, um, a little disassociated from, from what was happening. So, um, another thing I wish, you know, like you, Lisa, I wish that maybe we had gotten a little more support either together or individually, um, at that time. I was wondering, you know, for me, my mind was in 2014 and you said, um, Lisa, yours was 10 years ago, 11, 11 years ago. And, and Emily, yours, um, is very recent. So how do you, how do you guys feel about it today? You know, for, for Emily, it's going to be very different. Um, but how do you feel about, about it today? And You know, it doesn't come to my mind daily anymore. Um, initially, it was very heavy. Today, it's not daily anymore. There are moments, um, specifically when I hear of someone else's loss, it makes me want to rush over to them or to send a note, um, either an email, a text saying, I'm here, I've been through this, let me support you how I can, how you're comfortable. So um, I also, you know, have a couple of moments every so often, a couple times a year, sometimes around the holidays or just randomly that um, my four kids, I had two healthy pregnancies after my miscarriage. And these four little pumpkins, um, the youngest two specifically still ask, when are we having another baby? And the answer is never, we won't, unless I adopt. That's what is happening. Um, But every so often when that comes up, I just, I wonder what that tiny human would be doing right now. Where would they fit into this bunch? Um, But it's not nearly as grave or sad. It's just an, I wonder, and then move on with the day and definitely gratitude around what I have, what I have been afforded. Um, 
I am, I'm just, I'm all about building a community and sometimes the community comes over you in waves and that's not what I needed at the time. But um, I do wonder today if I would have just pulled one or two people specifically aside to help hold my hand through this or, and or counseling for myself, both of us, um, how that would have done. But it's sad today, but it's sad and relatable and it makes me feel better about, I guess, where I am today, I suppose. Emily, how, how are you doing? Um, so for me, my grief comes in waves. It's only been three months. So uh, some days I'll feel like I'm I'm fine and I'm, you know, we're getting going with the school year, so I'm busy. And then, you know, it'll hit me and I'll be sad. And I've heard this is common to have ups and downs. And um, I probably will seek out counseling also. Um, I think that's a good idea. And I, both of you have said you wish you did it. So I think it's a good idea to look for someone um, because I don't think it ever Obviously, this never goes away. You just get used to dealing with it. It's getting easier. And as my physical symptoms improved, I feel like my mental health has improved and and it's it's getting better. But um, like I took my, my daughter to the pediatrician this morning and um, it happened to be during a time when they do a lot of the newborn well checks. And, and it was sad because I should be like 25 weeks pregnant right now. So it just makes me think, oh, I'm sad. And again, I, I still have this kind of the shame because I do have three healthy kids and I know how lucky and I'm grateful for that. But um, the ER doctor said that she experienced a miscarriage after she also had three children. And she said, you know, she told me like, you have to stop saying that because a baby is a baby and a loss is a loss. And I, I shouldn't feel bad for feeling the way I do. I can't control that. But obviously I acknowledge everyone who really wants this. So it's like this battle in my head. Like, oh, I shouldn't feel I shouldn't feel sad. I'm I'm so grateful to have these healthy children. But also we still had a loss. It's it's very conflicting. Yeah. And it's I think it's probably hard to remember that grief is grief and a loss produces that grief cycle. And like you said, a loss is a loss no matter no matter how big. Emily, I just wanted to add um, that I'm so grateful to you because um, this was your idea to have this conversation um, as you were going through it. And I know it's it's difficult and I just admire you for wanting to have this conversation and, and it's, it's painful, but, um, you know, your idea was to do it so that we could help other people that are going through it or, or have been through it um, and to make, make, all of us feel less alone. Um, in preparing for this episode, I realized I didn't, I just didn't um, process it completely at the time. And um, I, I have compassion for my past self. I wish I could go back and, and reassure myself back then that, you know, the fact that I had a miscarriage does not mean my body can't do it. It didn't mean at the time I felt like, oh, this is this is the way I'm being told I, I should not have another baby. You know, I have one healthy baby. I shouldn't have another baby or I can't have another baby. And I, I would just go back and tell myself if I could, you will get pregnant again and you will have another healthy pregnancy and a healthy baby. Um, and um, 
you know, I would just say to myself and to anyone out there now um, to, to tell a friend or, or reach out for support, you know, either professional support or, or just even from a friend or a family member or like your primary care doctor, anybody just to say, just to share what you're going through. No, I appreciate you discussing this with me. It's helped me process my feelings too. And hopefully it will, it will help a lot of other women also, or families, dads, moms, anyone who's listening to this. Um, you know, thank, thank all of you for listening. If you're currently experiencing a pregnancy loss or you have in the past, our hearts are with you. And if this feels hard for you, like Joanne said, please reach out to your provider to get support. They should have, you know, resources for therapists or whoever you might need to talk to. And as always, Megan and Sarah will be back on Tuesday with regular content. Goodbye, friends. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Mom Hour. Everything we talked about in today's episode is available at themomhour.com. And hey, while you're there, you can find more than 500 podcast episodes, plus articles, playlists, and resources about motherhood and parenting at every stage. And if you like today's episode, we'd love it if you would take a minute to share the show with another mom in your life. You can also find us on Instagram at The Mom Hour, chatting and interacting with listeners between episodes. Thanks for being here, friends. We'll talk to you soon. The Mom Hour is supported by partners like Erica. Erica is the social media health app for teens that gives them the tools to unplug when they need to for improved health, study focus, sleep, and daily balance. Erica was built by a dad of three boys who saw that teens themselves were really becoming self-aware to the risks of social media, and he wanted to help them self-regulate. Erica works to hide distracting apps from your phone at the touch of a button, keeping them out of sight and out of mind without deleting your data. Tell your teens about Erica and save 20% on the Erica family plan with promo code THEMOMHOUR. Go to erica.app and search for plans. That's Erica with a K, E-R-I-K-A dot A-P-P and use code THEMOMHOUR to save 20%. Sarah, I have been having just the best time making my new podcast, The Teas Made. I launched back in November and so far I've covered topics like staying warm on cold winter walks, nurturing creativity, how to be a great host, and even Nordic secrets to loving winter. Well, you know I am fan number one of The Teas Made. It's got such a cozy vibe, and it seems like you've really hit your stride in covering topics like wellness, self-care, comforting rituals and routines, and home and family life. Just look for The Teas Made with Megan Francis wherever you get your podcasts, or head to theteasmade.com to find all the episodes.